This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Yeah. Dan Lawletta on the Equalizer podcast from Podcast Row at the Coaches Convention with Haley Carter, goalkeeper extraordinaire. Haley, how are you? Keep I'm, running into you. You look uh, busy good. this week. Yeah, this week has been kind of uh, a little bit crazy, but yeah. I know you have something big going on, and we won't talk about it, but we will reference it because um, by the time this airs, we'll have a lot more news about it. That's but, true. Uh, if you want to just, I don't know if you want to speak quickly about your. Yeah, so I, I am running for the board of directors. Uh, voting actually just closed eight minutes ago, so I'll find out um, here in like three hours at 3 p.m. Uh, who wound up winning. And, um, I, you know, I, there were four, I mean, I, obviously I'm going to include myself in this, but there was it was a really competitive field. There were four really great candidates, and, you know, I think it's really exciting. I think the work that was done from an advocacy standpoint and growing the association and who is getting involved in the association is really reflected in the types of candidates that um, that were nominated to run. So, uh, you know, I think there was a huge turnout. So, and for me, I think that's the most important part. I think the most important part is that coaches are getting involved and exercising their voices and playing a role in the association that serves them, you know, so that makes it really, you know, by coaches, for coaches, so that's an important aspect. So. Well, by the time this airs, we'll know whether you're on the board or not on the board, so hopefully that's a positive That's true, result. yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, so if you get on, and we can talk about that again down, yeah. down the road. Um, sure. You were or are the assistant coach for the Afghanistan national team. I've done some reporting on what's going on there. Yeah. Susie Rack from The Guardian has done far more extensive reporting than I have I recommend everybody read our stuff on this, but uh, give us an idea where we are with your so, role and what's going on with the team. Yeah, so right now um, we have two ongoing investigations, and I can't get too much into the details of those investigations, but um, procedurally, sort of where we're at, um, the Afghan Attorney General's office is running a an investigation that's more around criminal prosecution. Uh, and then FIFA, of course, is running their investigation. And we've had, you know, players and we submitted evidence uh, to the Ethics Committee. Uh, I think many people are aware that the president of the Afghan Football Federation has been provisionally, uh, provisionally banned. Uh, we're waiting for the outcome of that, uh, that sort of continued investigation to come out. I think we will likely see some progress there uh and for anyone not in the know yet there are two things there's a contract that the players don't want to sign and then more importantly there's been abuse claims that go all the way up to the president of the federation yeah but what i think is important uh i think people understand that those two things really are linked uh they came out at different times um really out of necessity because we had you know half the starting lineup uh, was left out of the Central Asian Football Association Women's Championships because they refused to sign the contract. But what's more important, I think, is that people understand that those contract, the reason those contracts came into existence was in an effort to prevent the players from going public about the allegations. Uh, and of course, there were all sorts of other completely, totally unconscionable um, 
terms that were in that contract. The contract lacks consideration. It is so unbelievably one-sided. Um, but really what that gets down to is it, it was that contract came out as a means of intimidating and preventing the women's players um, from speaking out. Now, most of us don't know a whole lot about Afghanistan. A lot of us yeah. learned what we know from 2001 when 9-11 and then the U.S. went in yeah. there. And then we started to learn a little bit. And you hear stories about how things were getting better for yeah. people over there. But that's also relative to how it had been. So for someone like me and probably most of our listeners, that they can't even really imagine what it's like live in Afghanistan too. So I think, yeah, I think what's really important that people understand is, you know, they really look at the history of Afghanistan and that, so there are some incredible people there. I mean, you know, I I love the people, I love the culture, but something that's really important to understand is that they've been at war essentially since 1980. You know, when the Soviets went in um, and invaded, that really initiated this sort of, uh, it triggered conflict. And so, People that are, you know, my age that are in their, you know, that are in their mid-30s, even to late 30s, uh, and younger, that's all they've known. All they've known is conflict their entire lives. And so, um, you know, the, the former generation, you know, like we talk about, we have players in the Bay Area, their, their fathers and mothers, they remember Afghanistan before there was conflict. And there's that's a, there's a serious divide there so it's just important I think for people to understand that the players we're working with their entire lives all they have known is conflicts uh, and so you know yeah coaching them Kelly you know we did a panel yesterday and coaching them isn't any different than um, coaching other humans uh, but you have to be cognizant of Kelly the fact Lindsay. that Lindsay yeah you have to be cognizant I think of the fact that uh, you're dealing with players that have faced a lot of emotional and physical trauma just in general and so you know to have the allegations and everything else that came out on top of that is it's just it's really difficult um, for us as a staff to manage and there are a lot of really great things that are happening and I would say that um, society from a society standpoint things are getting better there and women are able to pursue opportunities and there's you're seeing more women involved in the government and more women playing other sports and not just football but beyond that uh you know handball and cricket and you're seeing it grow uh women are pursuing their education so i would say it's getting better but there's still you know cultural norms and that have to be overcome at some point but i'm proud of the players because for the first time they've really come together as a group and as a team and are taking a stand and they're really driving a lot of the social change that's happening there just because they've um they have the courage i think to stand up and and Obviously, the abuse is on a totally different level. So, two questions about that. Number one, is there actually anything that can be done about that? Well, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, FIFA FIFA is going to act on that. Uh, I'm confident that FIFA is going to act on that. I'm confident the Afghan Attorney General is going to be able to act on it. You know, we've submitted, like I said, uh, multiple, multiple, beyond just what Susie Rack has reported in The Guardian. She did an interview with four players. There were much more than four players um, that provided evidence and testimony to both investigations. Uh, And, you know, I'm confident that there is going to be a resolution there. What what we have really kind of stressed, I think, with FIFA on the football side is to make the response as precise as possible. So nobody wants to ban the Federation. Nobody wants to, you know, bring the Federation down or take over the Federation or anything like that. We just want the people who 
were responsible for the abuse, who um, aided in the abuse, who were complicit in the abuse, were aware of it and didn't do anything about it. And, you know, we want those people dealt with. Uh, we want them held accountable. But that being said, we still want the men's team to be able to, to you know, flourish and play in friendlies and do what they're doing. We still want the women's program to do that. We still want the youth programs to do that. So it's really important that the that FIFA sort of address it yeah, just as precisely as possible and then it, it's those who are responsible or are held accountable and those, you know, the good people that are there that are working really hard to ensure that uh, the game is growing, you know, they, they continue to hold those positions and keep those positions. Yeah. Now that aside, I understand that it's impossible to put something that important aside, but yeah. how important is having the national team and having them congregate and go to tournaments. It's incredibly it's important. For soccer, it's for well beyond soccer. It, well beyond soccer. It's incredibly important. And, and I think the unfortunate thing is that, yeah, the reality is this will likely set the program back a bit. Um, but, you know, Kelly, Lindsay, and myself, and the other members of the staff, whatever capacity or title or position we have moving forward, we're going to continue to push to ensure that those women have opportunities to play the game. Because, it's really about uh, it's really about women's empowerment. It's about giving them the confidence to do other things. And the game has just created so many opportunities for them. They've gone on and they've got their education, or they have avoided getting married at a young age, or um, you know they've they've they're using it as a platform to go off and do humanitarian things and and you know work with other human rights organizations. And so it's a really important vehicle for them for multiple reasons. Not to mention the fact that it's a stress relief, you know. So of all of the stuff that they're dealing with on a daily basis and all of the violence and, you know, all of the loss and all of the trauma that they're dealing with, had to be able to come together as a team and kick a ball around, you know, it, it matters. It's really, really important. So on multiple levels. Now, are you and Kelly employed by them at this point? Or uh, so it's... We haven't technically been fired. Uh, nobody's notified us of that, but uh, we were not taken with the delegation to the CAFA championships. And uh, we, I mean, we were under the assumption that that was because we, you know, backed the players' decisions not to sign the contract. And uh, and of course, you know, they know that we complained to them about the allegations and where we stood on the fact that they had not done anything about those allegations. Um, and so. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're, yeah. Now, it seems to me odd that they would have hired you guys in the first place. Great. Yeah. But I was surprised. So how did it come about it, for you and Kelly got It involved? really, I mean, at a high level, I, th I think enough people know how I, how I personally got involved, but at a high level, uh, you know, they were preparing for the South Asia Football Federation Championships in 2016. Uh, and they really wanted to be successful. The men had won the SAF Championship prior to that. Uh, and, the, and the Federation really wanted to get, they wanted to recruit overseas, they wanted to bring in a professional staff um, and really see what they could do in terms of um, making that happen on the women's side. But the reality is you can't do it with half of what you need, right? And so, you know, we, we weren't financially getting the support that we needed, so we were doing a lot of fundraising and there's only so much that we can do. So, with, you know, it was great that they brought us in. I think it was necessary and it was important. But the reality is, is you, it's not just lip service. You have to truly make the investment and take the steps to ensure that your women's program is set up for success. And uh, 
you know, we were just part of the solution, and I think we lacked a little bit uh, some other pieces that we really needed. Uh, but I think they wanted to win, you know, with the idea that when you win, you create more opportunities. Um, but for Kelly and I, you know, for Kelly and I, it was never about winning. Uh, yeah, of course you want to win at an international level, but it really was about here's where we are, this is our baseline, how can we just improve incrementally? And, and not only improve incrementally, but beyond the game, how can we improve these women's lives and how can we improve other women's lives? And, and the vision of the team really became much larger than soccer. Like our mission, you know, with the staff and with the players was to just empower women, to make women feel comfortable coming out of their homes and participating in sports and to be the role model that you can come out and do that. And so that for us, that, that was winning. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it came about because they wanted to, <laughs> they wanted to win. Um, and, Sounds yeah. like they're lucky to have you both, and hopefully that relationship can continue. Yeah, we'll line. see. We'll um, see. This is obviously a topic we could go on for hours about, but yeah. changing gears a little bit for the second half. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about women in coaching and the yeah. way that NWSL coaches are hired. Yeah. Um, three openings, three men. One, yeah. You know, one is still not official as of when we're recording this, but everybody knows yeah. who it is. Um, let's look at Washington because they had an ownership change, hasn't been announced. Yes. Uh, they hired a coach who was a childhood friend of the new owner, which I don't have an issue with that specifically, but then Amanda Duffy told us after the draft that there are procedures in place for interviewing diverse candidates for jobs, but then also said that nobody's ever been in violation of that. So how can that be the case if the spirit came in, targeted one person, and hired them? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know how the hiring process went uh, specifically for the spirit, but, you know, I, I think, I think like all things, I don't think this is related just to soccer per se, and definitely not just to the NWSL, uh, but there's always ways to go about hiring the people that you want to hire, right? And so I think, uh, I think it's possible for any organization to not be in violation of some technical standard that's out there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they put forth a full faith, good faith effort. Uh, and to me, that's what's most disappointing. Uh, you know, I have a hard time believing uh, if you want to hire the best coaches um, and you you put a good faith effort in and you want to hire the best coaches, I don't think that hiring happens. Uh, I don't think the selection that they went with happens. Um, and I would agree with you that, uh, you know, I, I don't, we're at a convention with 5,000 of my best friends. I don't think hiring your friends. Right. But you know what I mean? I, I don't think hiring your friends necessarily, sometimes it's unavoidable here. And, you know, we're always referring each other to other people and saying, hey, you really should look at hiring this person or that person because we have relationships with them. So I think in coaching, relationships matter. So I agree with you. I don't think that in and of itself is necessarily a problem, but. I just know that there are other coaches that are incredibly well qualified um, that I think would be better options. And so I, that, that's where I struggle with. What I struggle with is when we're not hiring the best coaches. So of course I want to push women coaches. Um, but what really matters to me is qualifications. And, and this is the highest uh, level of women's soccer in the country. We need to ensure that they are getting the best coaches possible. Uh, and that's what really bothers me because I think the league 
to continue to be successful and to continue to develop players. You know, we have this league and we want to develop players so that they are going into the U.S. soccer pipeline and they are developing and, and getting opportunities on the national team level and in sustained opportunities at the national team level, not just being called in for a camp or two and then, you know, kind of, you know, Teeter, teetering on and off that cusp, but really getting chances. And, you know, I think we saw that in previous leagues. You know, that's how Abby really came in. She was mentored under Mia in Washington, and she really genuinely developed in previous leagues. And so if we want to see that happening now in NWSL, we've got to hire the best coaches. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm being pretty upfront and pretty open about my opinion on that. But as a former player... I, I want to have the best coach, uh, and I want to know that the front office and the staff went out of their way to find the most qualified coach, and I think that's really important. I think as pros, we have to own that, and I think as players, if if I think as players, we have a we have the power to come together and make that statement as well. And I can appreciate, you know, it's harder for active players to kind of speak up about it because you're concerned about contracts and waves, and you're having to deal with all of that. But as a former player. You know, I think it's really important that players understand that if you're if you're not developing and you're not getting better and you don't feel like your training environment is professional enough, then you have to say that. You have to speak out about that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I could go on about that that for hours, um, well, but I just I, I think it could be better. Here's how I look at it, and you can tell me that I am a male, so I'm out of my mind. You have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, there's only nine teams, so it's difficult to come up with any sort of like high-level data over nine teams. But yeah. it's difficult, I think, to look at it, any one individual hire and say you have to hire a woman or yeah. whatever. I, yeah, in I theory, agree. The, the person that hires the coach, they're putting their job on the line. Correct. Because they've got to win. But do we yeah. need to get to where the NFL got where you need to interview a female or two females or any other minority group before you make a coaching hire. Because it's been proven in the NFL, even though their numbers aren't great, that yeah. more people have gotten into the pool because of that. Yeah, well, honestly, I don't see a reason not to do that. Even at this point, I don't see a reason not to do that. Do I'm not saying you have to hire that person, exactly. but I am saying that you have to put in that good faith effort get them in the room, have the conversations with them. You know, I struggle with the fact that there's two women right now in the league. And, I, you know, I was talking with a couple people yesterday. I think there's maybe four women total um, that are coaching in the league, both at a, a assistant and head coach level. And there's only one, one American woman that's coaching in the league with Denise Reddy. And I think, uh, you know, you talk about there only being nine teams. There's only nine teams. There's only nine head coaching positions. So, you know, for me, it should be relatively easy to get the highest level of um, coaches in that room, you know, to get them interviewed. And, yeah, of course, some of our best coaches are college coaches, and that's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard sell to make to get top-level coaches to leave Division One or wherever coaching opportunities to come to the professional league because I think historically we've seen that inconsistency, and it, it can be – a little there's some insecurity there and i think that's fair but uh you know we've got to be better we've at got the, to do a better job at the same time the trend across all sports now is younger coaches some of them yeah. will come right off the field jason christ yeah. great example yeah literally mid-season retired took over 
and then Real Salt Lake is one of the best teams yeah. for however number of years. So I don't know that I buy the developmental issue either. Like there's enough yeah. former players now among, from the three leagues. Where are they? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know about you know being a player and then transitioning into coaching. Um, the the fact that we ran the C license with NWSL and US Soccer um, and Utah put that on is fantastic. Um, because I think it's important that there be opportunities for players to make that transition, to look into it, to figure out if that's even really something they want to do. But then I also think it's important for us to understand that not all players can coach. Uh, and so, you know, some of those players that get the C license or some of those players that make that transition, they may struggle with that. And I think that that's okay uh, because it is very different. You know, playing and coaching is it, it's a much different ball game, and especially at a higher level. Uh, I, you know, I struggled with it a little bit uh, initially when I made that transition, so I completely understand it. But I would agree. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's a pipeline issue. I don't think it's a development issue. I think that, and on the women's side, there are women coaches out there. It's not that hard to find them. You just have to make the effort, and you have to be willing to put the effort in. And, and I think too, when you start talking about, you know, we laugh about you being a guy and having no idea what you're talking about, but, but I think it's important that there be ma male allies at a high level that you know we talk about you know women breaking through a glass ceiling and but then where are the men that are throwing rocks down at the glass ceiling and that's really important i think that there be men in high level positions that go out on a limb to invest in women and not just invest in them initially but retain them and work with them and take a chance well, on them. I know one of the Jim Gabarro was always very big on having women on his staff. And yeah. James Clarkson hired Monica Gonzalo said it was some, I think he used the word vital, have a female yeah. on the staff. Is that, so is that what you're referencing? Because you can also look at that and say, but you're still the man in the position of ultimate power there. But you have to start somewhere. You know, you have to start somewhere. And, and, and honestly, I think you're talking about as well the president level, the you know, beyond just the head coach level, but I'm talking about presidents of clubs and owners of clubs, and those guys have to be willing uh, to be advocates and allies for women and, and help them, and yeah. And last thing, it's more, it's easier if you're in MLS through uh, the coaching, to get through the coaching ranks based on the licensing programs and all that, yeah. and NWSL. How is that possible, and whose job is that to make sure that NWSL gets treated the same as MLS in terms of, you know, you're a division one, to be honest with you, you know who I think who I think is work who's doing the most work on that is the NWSL Players Association. That's what I was say, is that yeah, for sure. I think thing? Yael and all of the work that she's doing, the representatives from each of the team um, who are trying to ensure that players. Obviously, you have the women's national team piece, but for the other players, that their voices are being heard and they're being represented, and that I, you know, they make the majority of the league. Um, and so I think that it's important um, that they continue to do the work because I, I honestly think they have the most power in terms of not just ensuring that everyday needs are being met of players, but that opportunities for players are present all over the place. So if they want to be entrepreneurs, they have opportunities to pursue that. If they want to get into coaching, they have opportunities to pursue that. Um, yeah, so I, they, I think for me, that that's the number one most important party uh, and their work is, is that's vital. Haley Kreider, thanks for stopping by and chatting. Yeah.